Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Monday, May 13th, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Spartans. I just want to uh, thank you guys for bearing with me uh, over these last few weeks. As Like I said on uh, that quick little Friday, not even an episode, snippet, if you will, uh, you know, we're just sort of figuring all this stuff out. It's the first off-season of the Lockdown Podcast Network having college shows, so we're sort of doing this on the fly and figuring it out as we go. So moving forward, <clears throat> I'll be doing shows three a week for the next, uh, you know, month and a half or so. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, are the planned shows. That'll be sort of the schedule here. And then it will be, you know, modified if need be, say, uh, in a couple of weeks, we know there's going to be some sort of big thing happening on a Monday night, uh, and we're going to need to do a Tuesday episode, then we'll make do with that. If some sort of big breaking news story happens on a Thursday uh, during the day after the show is already published for Thursday's show, uh, I'll record something Thursday night and put it out Friday. So most weeks, I think, are going to have three episodes. I would imagine some will uh, manage to get four in a week, you know, depending on different news and, and things that happen, you know, we got the NBA draft stuff coming up. Uh, that's probably not going to impact MSU guys in terms of the draft, but we'll learn, you know, if guys are signing for summer league deals or, or different things like that. So we'll get to learn a little bit about that. Maybe we'll have some extra shows in those weeks, depending on news and stuff like that. So that's sort of how we're going to play this for the next month and a half or so. And then once we sort of get to the midway point in summer, you know, we've got Big Ten Media Day, things start to ramp up a little bit, uh, and we'll gradually get back to four shows a week and then jump into five shows a week uh, by the end of the summer and be back on our sort of normal schedule. So that is the plan for now. Uh, on today's show, got a few things we're going to talk about here. We're going to continue our positional breakdowns uh, off the first segment. Uh, we're going to do the tight end group. Uh, it's not... You know, they're not not a ton of guys at the position. Uh, some interesting things to talk about. So that's the plan for segment one. Should only be a one segment thing. Um, then we've got uh, a couple other interesting things to talk about. The NCAA is proposing moving the three point line back for men's college basketball. I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then I got a couple uh, rankings that you know, a big way to fill off season stuff is to do rankings. Uh, so we got coaches rankings and then uh, head coaching job rankings uh, as well. So depending on how much time we have, we'll get to one of those for sure. Uh, if we don't have enough time, then we'll you know save one for later this week. So that's the plan for today's show. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that. Uh, you know, subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes to your phone every single day when they post and rating and reviewing, you know, head on over to iTunes, give a five star rating, leave a review, write something in there. Uh, you know, something nice, right? I, I would appreciate a compliment. That would be very helpful. But uh, that stuff really helps uh, in terms of the algorithm so we can trick iTunes and Apple into thinking the show is bigger and then we all get to make more money. Uh, and, you know, that is just a wonderful thing to be able to do. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk about this tight end group. Okay, so last year tight end was a really tough spot for Michigan State. Um, you know, I've got their stats up here in terms of receiving stats. Uh, and so, man, it was tough. Matt Dotson and Matt Sokol were the only tight ends to catch passes uh, for Michigan State last season. They combined for a robust 22 catches on 259 yards. 
Um, you know, Matt Sokol is gone, had a really, uh, you know, tough senior season catching the football. Uh, you know, there were some big drops uh, that he had. And, you know, it just it was certainly a struggle for him. And nobody was happy to see him kind of go through that. And really uh, tight end receiving was, uh, as I just kind of said, there, almost a non-factor for the offense. And, you know, an offense that was really struggling, it would have been nice if there was, you know, a Josiah Price or something like that, a, re- a reliable tight end option to go to to get first downs and, and move the chains and to score in the red zone. Two spots, Michigan State. Uh, really struggled with uh, and it just wasn't a position of strength by any means last year so this year hoping for better things uh, we'll start with Matt Dotson the projected uh, starter coming into the season um, you know Dotson's a junior came in as a highly touted recruit a four-star player um, you know f- got his most playing time of his career so far uh, last season, uh, finished with 14 catches, 159 yards, good for 11.4 a catch and one touchdown. I think he had some, you know, some of the same stuff that was going on with Sokol, a little bit up and down for him, some drop issues, uh, and just a little bit underwhelming in the receiving category. And, you know, he's he's only a junior. We've got to keep that in mind. There is certainly talent there, good pedigree in terms of uh, you know, the recruiting ranking and things like that. He's a big guy. He's strong. He's athletic for his size, um, you know, has the tools to be a good tight end uh, and just needs to really start sort of putting things together. Uh, this is going to be, you know, an absolute make or break type season for him. Uh, if he, you know, turns in a similar performance from the receiving standpoint last year, then you just kind of go into his last season at Michigan State with very little confidence that he's going to, you know, flip a switch and be a guy who can catch you 30, 40 uh, balls, get 400, 500, 600 yards, and a handful of touchdowns like you would like to get out of that position. Um, so big season for Dotson. He comes into the year as the number one guy, uh, you know, kind of without much doubt, although there could be, you know, kind of a dark horse. In this race, uh, behind him is Noah Davis. Noah Davis uh, missed all of last season with an injury, Um, you know, played a little bit. He was a redshirt freshman. He was part of that uh, 2016 recruiting class, redshirted that year, didn't have, uh, unfortunately, didn't have the luxury of the the four-game redshirt rule. Uh, so he didn't play at all there as a as a true freshman. Redshirted his redshirt freshman season. He played eleven games, started four games, uh, and finished the season with where is it? I'm trying to find it. Oh, there you go. Three catches for 22 yards. So 195 snaps, only caught three passes. Certainly played a role in blocking and things like that. I would imagine, uh, you know, based on how he's been used at Michigan State. And just the type of recruit he was, uh, he's going to be a blocking tight end, more H-back type stuff from him. I wouldn't expect too much more uh, from him than that in the passing game. Honestly, if, if he plays that amount of snaps again and ends up kind of bringing in what Matt Sokol did last year in terms of receiving numbers, you know, eight catches, 100 yards and a touchdown. I think that would be kind of right in line with expectations for uh, that sort of role in the offense, the number two uh, tight end who does play a decent amount of snaps but is more uh, used as a blocker and is not you know, a primary option in the passing game. So I would think that would be uh, the trend for Noah Davis. That's the type of player he seems to be. But uh, you know, who knows? We haven't seen him in an entire year. There's There could have been some development there. Uh, and, you know, Guys get better, guys get worse. Um, we'll see what he 
you know, brings to the table. He's six five or six four two fifty. He's a big kid, uh, so maybe he can develop into you know a red zone option or something like that. Uh, last person to talk about here within the group is I think the most interesting person, and it's sort of that thing like in baseball. Uh, everyone loves prospects because you haven't seen them uh, at all and it's just a mystery and you, you're full of optimism and upside and you're not thinking about how it might not work out. You're just thinking about, hey, how's this going to work out? This guy's got this, you know, he's this big, you know, caught this many passes in high school, ran this kind of 40. He's going to be a great player. Uh, and that's Trenton Gillison, uh, redshirt freshman, played in just a couple of games last year, took advantage of that four-game redshirt rule. Uh, so he did not burn his freshman year of eligibility. Uh, 6'4", 267, was the 133rd ranked player in the nation on the Rivals 250 last year. Uh, was number 290 on the uh, 24-7 sports. Uh, number 7 tight end in the country by Rivals. Number 8 tight end in the country on ESPN. And number 10 tight end in the country by 24-7. Uh, number 2 tight end in the Midwest. Uh, so just... A really good uh, recruit. Uh, I think his overall composite was like 220 or something like that on 24-7. So uh, one of the better tight end recruits in, in all the country last year. Like I said, 6'4", 267, really big kid. Um, projects to be you know a number one option type guy who can uh, do both uh, in terms of you know the tight end. You want a guy who can catch, but blocking, especially in the Michigan State offense, is a necessity. And he sort of projects as a guy who's going to be able to do both of those things. And so he is sort of uh, kind of the you know dark horse candidate to be the guy at tight end this year. Like I said, it's it's you know it's Matt Dotson right now for sure. Gillison played only 14 snaps last year, appeared in just two games. Uh, obviously wet behind the ears, but uh, just the you know the the talent, the size, the the skills that he has, he's certainly going to have something to say. You would hope uh, have something to say about uh, production at tight end this season uh, before it's all said and done. And again, the 22 reception, 259 yards for the entire position group last year. Uh, you know, lowest totals ever uh, under. Antonio at Michigan State from the position group. So there's it's like there's nowhere to go but up, uh, frankly, for, for that group. And you know, I would hope just overall Dotson takes some step forwards, steps forward, excuse me, and that Gillison can start to, you know, get himself on the field A and then B get more involved, build confidence, become uh, you know, a competent uh, college football player and then you know get comfortable out there and maybe second half of the season we really start to see him shine a little bit uh, in terms of the passing game and things like that because you know coming into uh, college uh, with that sort of recruiting ranking you would hope that person can pan out and contribute on the field pretty quickly uh, you know Michigan State has done a pretty darn good good job uh, overall with, uh, you know, recruiting and getting the most out of players and talent development and things like that. So you have confidence in the staff that they can, uh, you know, take his talent, his raw talent, uh, and, and start to really develop it and form it into a really good player down the road. And we'll see what we get uh, out of him this upcoming season. I would think Matt Dotson's going to have to lead the way for the most part this season in you know, you, you just that the, I guess the expectation, the hope is that he improves, kind of doubles up the numbers he has had last season, ends up somewhere in the 30 40 catch range, 
you know, with about 400 yards, 500 yards, and a few touchdowns. Uh, and then, you know, whatever you get from Noah Davis in the passing game is just, uh, you know, icing on the cake. And then you hope Gillison starts to develop into a player, gets you, you know, 20 catches, something like that, a couple hundred yards, some touchdowns, and shows some real potential. And then, you know, you come back the the season after that with Dotson and his last season, Gillison as a sophomore, and maybe you've got a really dynamic tight end combo, kind of like, uh, you know, Iowa had with Hawkinson and Fant last year that could really uh, be an interesting little wrinkle for this offense. So that's the big thing with this position group. I don't see a ton of production there. There are, you know, other pass catchers on this uh, on this roster. The receiving group's going to carry, obviously, the, the biggest burden. But between them and the guys out of the backfield, I see a lot of potential for uh, yardage in the passing game. And then you just hope the tight end group develops and comes along and becomes a, a, a you know not a not a huge minus like it was for much of last season that you can get that group uh, up to speed and get them into the positive territory uh, and you know build some confidence, build some skills, build some abilities so they can be a really good group down the road at the end of this season coming up and then into next season and into the future. All right, let's take a break right there. When we get back, we'll talk about this proposed rule change for college basketball. You can get Locked On Spartans on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcasts Locked On Spartans. All right, welcome back to segment two of today's Locked On Spartans. Thanks so much for joining me again. Let's talk about this proposed rule as I just really quickly X out my different tabs so I don't get lost. Okay, there we go. Um, so the NCAA has proposed... To move the basket, uh, move the basket. <laughs> they're going to move the basket up. Uh, no, they're moving. The th- they're proposing to move the three-point line back to the international and WNBA distance of 22 feet and one and three quarters inches. And the playing rules oversight panel will vote on June 5th to decide whether or not to adopt this change. So, what does that mean? What are the potential outcomes of this. Uh, I've been kind of just kicking around this idea, how I feel about it, uh, and what I think, you know, would help, um, you know, college basketball as a a whole. Because outside of Michigan State games, I I had this complaint a number of times last season. Outside of Michigan State games, I didn't watch too much college basketball for like a too many. I'll say it this way. I didn't watch too many basketball games, college basketball games from start to finish. Certainly watched a lot uh, different moments would tune into, you know, different games and things like that. Uh, but there were just so many times, especially, you know, I would notice it in Michigan state games where it was just a slog. Uh, the officiating was overbearing. And I said to myself a number of times, man, if this wasn't a Michigan state game, I would probably turn it off right now. And I did that a number of times with different games, even into the tournament. Sometimes you're like, man, like this is just not even, even with like, it's not fun to watch even with those stakes. Um, so that's something that I think, you know, there's an issue right now in college basketball and that's watchability of the games. Uh, and they've tried to do things like, uh, you know, the new hand check rules and, you know, freedom of movement and things like that, that the idea behind it is, uh, guys will learn to stop using their hands. There will be more free moving players on the floor. The game will pick up in speed and the skill will shine through. Uh, physicality will go down a little bit and you'll get less of those rock fights, slogs in the mud, things like that. And the game will be better for it. What's 
you know, the uh, the only result of it so far has been uh, officials are being put in the position with emphasis on different rules to call many more fouls, it feels like, uh, and just slowing the game down. You know, teams are getting into the double bonus with 12 minutes left in the second half, uh, and it's just unwatchable at times. So, you know, I've been trying to think about this particular rule, rule proposal, rule proposal, that's a tough one to say, uh, and how it would relate to improving the watchability of the game. And so my first reaction is that I, I didn't like the idea of making it harder for college basketball players to score. I think at times the college game uh, it doesn't feature enough offense, and part of it is the players, while they are very good, they're just not quite that at that level yet, especially with many of the really talented players leaving school early, you know, guys aren't developing in college, they're developing in the pros and in the G League and things like that. And so you're getting a lot of, you know, over time, what you get, is just a little bit lower talent level throughout college basketball. Uh, and I think that's inarguable, you know, like, Carl Anthony Towns, I think, would have been a senior last year or something like that, if, if I'm remembering his draft year correctly. But there's just like, it's just not how it used to be when guys would always stay for two years, three years, sometimes four years, and then, you know, be lottery picks, be high picks in the draft. It's just a different game. So how do you make, you know, you take into account the, the lowered skill level, the less high-end talent, uh, you know, and guys just aren't as good at making shots. Uh, the skill level declines a little bit, and what you get is a product where it's just not quite as good basketball as it used to be. And I think, you know, to some extent, that's fine because there's still plenty good, there's still plenty of talent in college basketball. Even guys like Akashis Winston, who's not a prototypical NBA prospect, is an incredibly gifted player, a great college basketball player, really fun to watch and very entertaining. And so how do you maximize what you do have taking into account, you know, you're losing top end talent, things like that. And so they try to open up the game, make uh, hand checking and things like that less of uh, a part of the game. And, you know, how does this sort of this type of rule factor into that? Because if scores are down with, you know, taking into consideration all the fouls, uh, the pace of the games at times, the different strategies like Wisconsin, Virginia, and things like that. Do we really want to make it even harder for guys to score by moving the three-point line back? That's going to drop percentages. I mean, that's just, you know, basic math. And, um, you know, I, I worry a little bit about that. I don't think the NCAA is at a point right now where the three-point line is absolutely dominating the conversation like it is in the NBA. And in the NBA, uh, you know, I love three-pointers. I think they're an important part of the game. I like that they're involved. Uh, but right now the NBA has got a problem on their hands where it is, you know, swinging massively um, into the three-point line. Like, you know, Houston's the first team in NBA history to take more than 50% of their field goal attempts from three. Uh, and they've done it in back-to-back -back seasons. More and more teams are picking up on this, figuring out the math. Um, you know, that's the thing about numbers. Uh, they're factual, <laughs> like points per shot attempt and things like that. The NBA is really starting to pick up on it. The analytics is growing, and more and more teams are realizing that uh, the most, you know, some of the most efficient shots to get are three pointers. Um, you know, in the NBA, shots around or free throws are the most efficient shots. Shots around the rim, open layups, dunks, things like that, are the second most efficient. Uh, and then three pointers, the corner three, and then it kind of works around the uh, the arc from there. 
you know, and those are the most efficient shots, and those are the, like the the shots you see teams always making, and what it has resulted in is sometimes a bad brand of basketball. So they've got that crisis on their hands. I don't think the NCAA is at that point yet because the shooters just aren't at that level yet. They're not as good as NBA guys, and so you know, I. I I, I want the game to be opened up more. I want, I'm okay with less of an emphasis on the three with the college game being proactive. I'm good with that. Seeing what's happening in the NBA and saying, hey, we don't want this to happen in our game. We want to keep the balance inside, outside. We want both of these things to be important and being proactive to make a change. I'm good with that. I'm not sure that making offense harder is the proper way to go about that. I would be totally in favor of different changes to help re-emphasize post-scoring and mid-range games and things like that. Uh, And there are certainly a number of zany, uh, I don't think they're zany, but people consider them zany ideas to do this. One of these, uh, I think Kirk Goldsberry guy used to work for the Spurs, uh, has a book out called Sprawl Ball. It's like a visual tour of the NBA. It's really interesting stuff, but he's a big shot chart guy. One of his proposed uh, ways for the NBA to fix things is that uh, each team on their home court designates where the three-point shot is. So they kind of draw their own three-point shooting area. So if you've got a guy who is just automatic from the elbow uh, and that's how you want to run your offense through that sort of position on the floor. You put your three-point area right there, and everything else is worth two. Now, that's never going to happen. It's too out of left field, but it's an interesting concept and gets you thinking of different ways to uh, make the game more balanced. It reintroduce post-play, make the game uh, you know, not so guard, you know, not so f- tilted in favor of the guards, which it really is at times. And so uh, while I don't want to move the three-point line back and punish guards, I would like to reward or help centers, forwards, and things like that. Uh, one thing you could do is shrink the lane. Right now, the lane uh, where it's at, uh, you know, we have the three-second violation. Guys can't hang out underneath the rim and things like that and they have to establish post presence come in and out of the post farther away from the rim Uh, if you shrink that lane then they're able to get even closer to the rim establishing post presence and worrying about three second violations and things like that Uh, you could make it tougher on defenses in terms of defensive violations defensive lane violations you know and you're shortening the time on that so that a defender can't hang out under the rim as much. You could lengthen the offensive three seconds to four seconds, five seconds, something like that. So guys have more of a chance to get established in the post and get a feed. There are different things. You like The cylinder rule is something that's sort of been incorporated to protect jump shooters. Can that be incorporated to protect post players as well, to give them more space to operate um, within there? Because you know we see it, guys are banging. Uh, in the low post, absolutely hammering into each other. We've seen it a lot with Nick Ward. And half the time, a foul is called when they're fighting for a position. The other time, the ball is thrown in and like a, not, a foul is not called. And the guys work so damn hard just to get post position that he's exhausted by the time he gets the ball. And he's got a guy draped right on top of him. Maybe there's something you could do in terms of di- limiting distance uh, with defenders and things like that. Giving an offensive post player a cylinder when he's in the painted area. Things like that. Uh, to enhance scoring, to enhance post play, not to take away from the perimeter, not to make life more difficult on guards, but to make life you know a little bit more easy on the big men. Basketball is a game that rules have changed a ton. Tall guys were absolutely dominating, uh, so they changed rules. They made it so uh, you know 
uh, goaltending was a thing that wasn't in existence, uh, especially, you know, in the NBA. And then they changed the rules because, you know, tall guys could just go up there and catch a shot. So they needed goaltending. You know, there are rule changes that happen over the time with, with this type of, with basketball and, you know, players develop and things like that. And games get tilted one, you know, too far one way or another. And right now there's a little bit too much emphasis on jump shooting, especially from, uh, behind the arc. So, Instead of punishing that, uh, you know, reward the big guys. And if you want to, I'm all for, and they need to do this in the NBA, but even in college, I'm all for uh, widening the court a little bit. Uh, and that way you can create more space for athletes to make plays. And I, I understand moving the three-point arc, back, three-point arc back, one of the arguments for it is that if you move it back, defenses are going to be stretched further to the perimeter that's going to create more room around the lanes for guys to be able to drive penetrate and make uh, athletic plays uh, in the lane around the rim things like that and I'm all for creating more space for athletes in basketball but you can do that by widening the court a little bit uh, then you can stretch defenses uh, and the way you're going to do that is instead of your shooter setting up in the corner on the line he's going to set up two feet behind the line uh, and that's going to stretch out the defense that way. And so teams then, instead of being dictated by you know the geometry of the court, have a strategic decision to make. Do I want to create space for my slashers uh, by setting up guys in the corner, uh, you know, closer to the sideline, farther away from the basket, stretch the deed that way? Or do I want to keep my guys on the three-point line to have that higher percentage look from three, which then helps constrict the lane for the defense, make switching rotations, things like that easier defensively? So you know, that's, those are things that I'm, uh, all for, uh, again, I think college basketball at times suffers from, uh, sometimes, you know, a little bit lower level talent over officiating, not enough space, too much emphasis on jump shooting, not to the level of the NBA, but there's still, you can see the problem coming. And I think, you know, some of these changes would help really open up the game, create space for athletic players while not punishing jump shooters, uh, and reemphasizing the post game because, you know, I don't want big centers to become a thing of the past. I want, you know, teams to be able to work through the post. I think the post game there takes great skill to be able to score like that on the low block and, and, and all that stuff. And it's really graceful and beautiful to watch these monstrous guys be able to work their feet like that and make amazing post moves and things like that. And so I just want to make life on those guys easier uh, instead of punishing guards. So I'm not for moving the three-point line back, but I would love to see them shrink the lane, maybe tweak some of the lane violation uh, rules if need be, find a way to help you know create some space for post guys in and around the basket, uh, and then widen the court a little bit, create space for slashers, athletic wings, and things like that. Uh, spread the game out a little bit and make it, you know, uh, a strategic decision how a team plays how a team uses the three-point line so right now on the corners especially there's no room behind the three-point line to make it even a strategic decision the only reason you're ever going to the corner is to shoot a corner three uh, if you widen the court a little bit you can use that corner use that space to do different things to run offense uh, to space defenses out that way so those are my sort of suggestions and how I think uh, college basketball could fix some of the issues they have in terms of watchability. And I went way too long. What a surprise. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about, uh, I don't know, uh, Mark D'Antonio's spot on the uh, CBS coaches rankings. Remember to get the show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Spartans, the new Himalaya podcast app, and an ever-expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Spartans. 
All right. Welcome back to segment three of today's Locked on Spartans. Going to be short, unfortunately, because I went long with that other one. But honestly, I think that stuff is way more interesting and way more worth talking about right now than this sort of next thing. Uh, Mark D'Antonio is ranked the second best coach in the Big Ten and number 13 overall by CBS Sports. They released their annual list of the top 25 coaches in the Power Five. Uh, Tom Fornelli did a write-up for D'Antonio. Here's what he said. This is one of the more, more surprising results of our 2019 rankings. I have a bunch of respect for D'Antonio as a coach, and he had an amazing stretch at MSU, one that could very well continue. If the Spartans win at least 10 games for the seventh time in 10 seasons, nobody should be too surprised. Still, coming off a 7-6 and six season, I wasn't anticipating D'Antonio climbing three spots in the rankings. So, uh... Like I said, D'Antonio is number two in the Big Ten. James Franklin was number one uh, for Purdue. Uh, Purdue for uh, Penn State. He came in at 11. Here's the top 10. Dan Mullen at Florida. David Shaw at Stanford. Eight, Gary Patterson, TCU. Seven, Brian Kelly. Notre Dame. Kirby Smart, Georgia is way too low at six. Jimbo Fisher, five, Texas A&M. Lincoln Riley, Ford, Oklahoma. Chris Peterson, Washington. Dabo Swinney, Clemson, and Nick Saban. So uh, really interesting behind the first two are obvious. Uh, you know, I would move Riley up a little bit. I'd move Kirby Smart up a little bit. I might move uh, Gary Patterson down because they've had some uh, tough seasons there. It's pretty similar to, uh, you know, D'Antonio in Michigan State. I'm surprised D'Antonio was at 16 coming off a 10-win season. That would make sense, you know, maybe coming off the 3-9 and nine season. But 13 kind of feels like the right spot for him. I think maybe the way he moved uh, is like a year delayed, things like that. He should have gone down, should have gone up. The previous years was a little too low. Now he's a little too high or whatever, but ended up kind of right in the right spot. You know, he's right behind Mike Gundy. Um, you know, and, and he certainly accomplished more than Gundy, Franklin, Mullen, uh, Patterson, uh, you know, pretty much you know, Chris Peterson, you could argue certainly. So uh, in terms of that stuff, he should probably be a little higher, but you know, Michigan state went three and nine, 10 and three and seven and six. And so that's a kind of a mediocre three-year stretch and way below the standard that has been set at Michigan state. If Michigan state wins 11 games next year, 12 games next year, and gets back to business, you know, he's certainly going to be in the top 10, top eight, top seven type uh, things right there. He's not going to be able to push into the top group because he doesn't have a national championship. Uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher's at fifth. He has a national championship uh, and things have kind of, I don't know, been up and down for him since that national championship. But that still certainly means something. And Kirby Smart, who, you know, has played for a national championship, made the final four uh, and has turned Georgia back into the powerhouse it should be, is still at number six. So it's going to be tough to kind of push into that top group. Um, I certainly think D'Antonio should be higher than Franklin. I don't think there's anyone in the Big Ten you would take uh, over D'Antonio at this point in terms of what they've accomplished now that Urban Meyer's gone. Uh, it is. I'm glad that you know Jim Harbaugh comes in at 15, which it's like finally it's an appropriate spot. Uh, somebody's ranking Jim Harbaugh in an appropriate spot given what he's actually accomplished with the resources he has. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald came in at 16, which is a good recognition of someone who uh, exactly the opposite of Harbaugh has accomplished a ton with sort of uh, huge limitations and, and tough resources. Uh, Iowa, Kirk Ferentz, 22. Paul Chris, Wisconsin, 23. He feels like he should be a little higher, uh, but last year was tough for them. And then Scott Frost is somehow 25th at Nebraska. Uh, despite not really doing much there and being new. And, you know, yes, what he did at UCF was really great, but uh, I think you need to do it at a, a higher level before you start getting that sort of respect. So uh, overall, I think D'Antonio kind of came in at the right spot there. 
you know, this is a list where he was in the top six, top seven coaches uh, in the country coming off the 2015 season. So he has dropped a little bit as the program has kind of stumbled through this mediocre stretch here. But uh, like Fornelli said, there one really great season and. I think people will really kind of forget about the few mediocre seasons that Michigan State has kind of slopped together the handful of years. And it's easy to say, uh, yeah, we throw 2016 out the window. After that, they won 10 games. They won seven games. They won 11 games. Uh, Michigan State's kind of right back on track. We can overlook the little hiccups there down the stretch. And they got things going again, especially if changes on the offensive side of the ball really work out. Because Michigan State's going to have a great defense this year. If they have a competent offense and can put together a really good season, uh, people are going to say, hey, D'Antonio didn't can everyone. Look what happened. They made some changes in-house. They kept all their people, loyalty, yada, 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 and it worked out. That's a sign of a great leader. That's a sign of a great coach, and it'll be a nice little feather in his cap. So uh, hoping he can... Uh, and the team can put together a good season and he can jump back up these rankings to where he was after the 2015 season. All right, that's the end of today's show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Spartans. Uh, Should nothing come up, Uh, from now until then we're going to spend Wednesday doing running backs in the positional breakdown so plan for that unless some sort of news breaks which we will certainly address off the start of the show reminder to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can follow me on twitter at will underscore underscore hunter one l two underscores you can follow the show at on spartans Uh, you can find my work now I'm writing for spartans wire part of the usa today network uh, at the spartans wire on twitter uh, I also tweet out my links. Uh, you can search the Spartans Wire on Facebook. You can search Locked on Spartans on Facebook. Uh, get the podcast there. Find my other work, things like that. So please definitely do that. Again, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We'll be back Wednesday with another edition of Locked on Spartans. Until then, go green.